welcome everyone um, to, I think our 10th, is that what you said, Chad, in the announcement, 10th Peak Collaborative, which is amazing. Um, first, or second one of 2021, so um, off to a great start this year. Um, we're really excited about this topic. Um, obviously, I think it's very um, relevant to everyone here. Um, and Kevin is going to talk a little bit more about the topic here in a second. Um, but on behalf of the Peak Collaborative, I want to welcome everyone um, to the session. And um, you can see there, if you haven't already, please introduce yourself um, in the chat. Um, some meeting norms. Um, we are, we, uh, this was actually a, a Hans idea from a few collaboratives ago, but um, we'll be in session from 4 until 5.15. Um, PM Eastern. And then if folks want to stick around for some more kind of informal conversation with members of the panel and the collaborative, um, we'll stick around until about 5.30. But the formal peak collaborative will end at um, 5.15 Eastern. Um, so some of the norms, um, you have been muted. So if you do want to contribute to the discussion, um, please raise your hand. Um, this feature can be found by hovering over your name in the participant section. When you are called upon um, by a moderator to contribute, you'll be unmuted and then please mute yourself um, once you're finished speaking. Um, be understanding that there are many people in this meeting. So we have 57 and counting um, and that you may not get the opportunity to speak. Um, so just use the chat feature as appropriate throughout um, for side conversations. And then when or if you are called to contribute, called on to contribute, please be concise. Um, lastly, be respectful of ideas and opinions shared during the meeting. Always assume positive intent. Um, we are definitely all in this together. Um, and this goes for the chat room as well. So um, with that said, I will um, throw it over to uh, Kevin, um, who's going to introduce the topic for today. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Jamie. Um, I'm just going to speak real briefly uh, before I turn it over to, to Risto, who's going to introduce our first um, uh, set of panelists. But uh, today's meeting of the Peak Collaborative will will kind of flow uh, in a similar way to some of the others that we've done uh, previously, where we have kind of three different topic areas set up that um, we're going to chat about. Uh, and we'll kind of rotate through those three topics, um, spending about 20 minutes on 20 minutes on each of them. Uh, and the, um, the 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 panelists will throw out some initial ideas, but we're really hoping for some good conversation throughout the group, uh, both in the chat and then, of course, as Jamie said, when people unmute. Um, but just to kind of prime the uh, prime the topic a little bit, um, across the country, schools of education have experienced notable declines in student applications into teacher education programs, and that's something that we've seen going on for. Uh, several years now. Uh, these challenges are likely even more amplified uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic as colleges and universities face financial strains and are forced to reprioritize their programming. PEAT programs have not been immune to these declining enrollments and some prominent programs have been threatened or discontinued. Um, that's actually what got me interested in, in studying and thinking about recruitment um, into PEAT programs in the first place because when I was finishing my PhD at Purdue University, um, the, the undergraduate PEAT program was put on hold there and they haven't enrolled new students since. Um, these trends have led to increased attention on recruitment uh, research, uh, as well as the development of innovative recruitment strategies. And so in this meeting of the PEAT Collaborative, we have panelists uh, who will initiate conversations about recruitment into, into PEAT so that we can learn from each other and see what, um, what we're thinking and what we're doing. 
Um, we'll focus on innovative approaches to recruitment first, followed by recruiting diverse students. Uh, and then uh, the third um, discussion topic will, will relate to research focused on recruitment and PEAT. And, and so with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Risto Martinen, who's gonna introduce our first topic. All right, so uh, thanks everybody. Again, um, like Kevin said, we have three separate uh, areas. Um, the first one is led by Ingrid Johnson and Michelle Moosberger, and they're gonna be talking about uh, innovative approaches to recruiting and retaining students. Um, each of these topics are gonna go for 20 minutes. And again, just as a reminder, if you wanna chat or if you wanna talk, um, you can just raise your hand or use the hand raise function, or you can use the chat. Um, I'll be kind of guiding it along of um, when we move to that next topic, which is gonna be about recruiting students from diverse populations. And that's gonna be led by Brian Culp, Victor Ramsey and Luis Martinez. Um, and then we'll go to the last part, which is on research related to recruitment and retention. And that's led by Emily Jones and Kevin Richards. So um, without further delay, let me turn it over to Ingrid and Michelle to lead off the first discussion part. Hey everyone. Wow, so many faces, so exciting. Um, thanks for having Michelle and I uh, you know, talk for just a little bit about some things that we do at our um, different institutions. Um, I also just kind of want to preface this a little bit in that um, you all might have far better ideas that you're doing or strategies that are working better at your institution. Um, and we are equally as interested in learning from you as we are in sharing some of our ideas. Um, and so I'm just going to talk about a couple of different things that I do at Grand Valley State University, which is in Western Michigan. And um, at my institution, um, we don't have any time off to work on recruitment. Um, I don't get any extra stipend. I have zero training in recruiting, um, you know, just to, to be honest and give you a little bit of a background. And so it's been, you know, something to kind of learn on the fly um, that we've had to do. So with that in mind, um, and again, we have no real budget that we can spend on recruitment, specifically for health and physical education, especially since COVID um, took over the world. But even before, we, we didn't have any budget or specific funding for that. So some things that we do at my institution, um, and when I'm done talking, because I can't do three things at once, I will put a link in the chat. Um, to the website for my program, which has a video that you can see. So that's one thing that we did. Again, because we had no budget, we were like, okay, we need to have some kind of video because that's what kids are looking at these days. So we in-house created our own low budget video highlighting all of the things about our health and PE program. And again, I'll put that link in there for you um, when I'm done talking. Um, so that's one thing that we do. Um, another thing that we do is um, I take some of our majors club students or some students in you know classes and we'll go out to local high schools when they're having career fairs. And I have the students sit at a table that says Grand Valley State University Health and PE program and talk to the high school kids who come by about what this means. Um, and so it's good for everyone to do that. Um, we also try to, to work closely with our state organization, so with SHAPE Michigan, 
And um, we're always highlighting things in the newsletter about our program. Um, we are hosting conferences at Grand Valley so that we can bring in-service teachers, you know, and other people who can also help spread the word to our institution and, and involve our students and, and, and sort of um, recruit informally that way. Um, we talk a lot with our cooperating teachers about things that they can do. So when they're working with our student teachers, you know, we ask them to like talk to the students about a career in education and, you know, and, and, and have those kinds of conversations. Um, what is another, a couple of other things that we do, again, many of you might do these things. We try to bring kids to campus and do some practice teaching with local schools. And we have kind of a variety. Um, we work with the local community. Um, it's called an ISD. I don't quite know how to explain it. Uh, like a, a group of schools and, um, we bring um, students with uh, various uh, special needs to campus and they work with our adapted class. And so they're on campus, we do that. We work with a, a local um, Christian school that doesn't have access to physical education. And so they come to our campus and we teach them in our methods classes, physical education. And then I take the secondary um, method students out to local middle school and high school um, to do that. So we kind of are using like all of these little things to sort of help recruit and get people to talk about it. And just one final thing, and then I'll let Michelle talk about, she has some very specific programs, is we even just like have swag with our name on it, right? Again, little things, but we have shirts and hats and, you know, uh, first aid kits. Um, so we have these kinds of things. So, you know, again, a lot of, a lot of hit or miss things. I'm going to turn it over to Michelle now. Awesome. Thanks Ingrid for kicking off our segment. Really cool strategies. Love the swag. Um, I'm Michelle Musberger. I'm a faculty member at Springfield College in Massachusetts, and I'm excited to share with you a bit more and then have time for a discussion. So as Kevin talked about before, the steep decline in enrollment in PEEP programs, we experienced that at Springfield College and our PEHE department made a shift towards more active recruitment. We've employed some of the strategies that Ingrid described. We've been able to de dedicate a portion of our budget and a, a little bit of workload, like less than one course release. So we have a faculty member who instead of supervising student teachers is available for recruitment efforts. We've also developed a program that I'd like to expand on here. I do want to acknowledge, I heard Kevin make this acknowledgement earlier this week in, the, in a podcast, but um, I view recruitment through the lens of occupational socialization theory, and this is but one framework. There's certainly other theoretical perspectives that could be applied. So at Springfield College, we leverage occupational socialization theory and recommendations from the literature to design and implement a program that targets acculturation, professional socialization, and organizational socialization with the ultimate intention of enhancing PEAT recruitment and the quality of K through 12 PE programs. So in 2014, we initiated a program with a really long name, it's called Youth in Motion, Exploring and Advancing Leadership and Physical Activity and Health. And through this program, our PE faculty and pre-service teachers interact with high school students and high school health and physical educators and school counselors. 
and we recognize that while high school students um, may have engaged in the apprenticeship of observation for 13,000 plus hours in their K through 12 experience, they may not have developed subjective theories that would support their pursuit of teaching physical education as a career path or their understanding of the viability of such career opportunities. And students who have been passively recruited into PEAT in the past may have a coaching rather than teaching orientation, and they may, they're not a very diverse group as a whole. So at the same time, we also thought about our health and physical educators in the field and their organizational socialization. We thought about marginalization, washout, burnout, and we believe that we could better support our in-service teachers who in turn could serve as socializing agents in the lives of high school students as they experience physical education and develop beliefs about the profession. So narrowing that pool down a bit, we focused on Springfield College physical education alumni because at some point they had at least been exposed to the philosophies and orientation that our program espouses. So we identified alumni who serve as health and physical educators and school counselors in high schools within a hundred mile radius from the college with concentrated efforts on nearby urban areas where passive recruitment just hasn't been successful in drawing students for us. Those alums who are interested were asked to identify their high school sophomores and juniors who value health and enjoy physical activity. And that's a statement intended to diversify the group of students with potential for Pete beyond the typical folks who are engaged in team sports. We then invite the alums to come to our East Campus Outdoor Learning Center in the fall and our main campus in the spring and bring with them their group of identified students. We typically get around 85 students and about 20 educators. Transportation, coffee, and lunch are paid for by alumni relations and admissions and our School of Physical Education, Performance, and Sport Leadership. So the collaborations across campus are really important to us and to these recruitment efforts. And funding campus visits focused on specific areas of interest and has been highlighted by Ruffalo Nolevitz as an effective recruitment outreach strategy for particularly for students with financial needs. So our current students are involved in the program by exposing the recruits to our program philosophy and to college life in general. They engage the recruits on the challenge course with a focus on self-awareness of leadership skills, followed by exploration of careers associated with health, physical activity, and sport. And for the alums, we survey them in advance to identify some professional development areas of interest. We then offer professional development, emphasizing innovative approaches to support their practice and ideally improve the quality of their program, thus increasing the compatibility between the K through 12 PE experience and the PEAT program and easing the transition across phases of occupational socialization. I noticed some of our DPEAT program alums are here with us today and they are involved with this program too. They've assisted with the professional development and the program as a whole to at least get a little bit of experience with recruitment and they've made some great contributions. So upon leaving our campus, the educators are tasked with furthering the reflective conversations and serving as career exploration resources for their students. In the spring, we bring the group back. We check in on their progress after maintaining connections over email through the winter, and then we build from there. So a key, a key component to this program is emphasizing the relationship between the recruits and the educators and positioning the physical educators as ideal socializing agents who are dedicated to improving their practice and growing the profession. A few of the key outcomes of Youth in Motion, uh, the applicants to the college from the program have more diversity of experience and in terms of racial and ethnic background as compared to a typical applicant. We've had over 30 recruits from this program who have ultimately enrolled at Springfield College. Our faculty now have more regular contact and more stronger relationships with our alumni participants. 
and alumni have shared ways that they've applied professional development to their PE programs. So Youth in Motion is just a single example of an application of occupational socialization theory and literature to support PE recruitment. Um, we're continuously trying to improve. I just read the article that came out in Quest about the theoretically informed conceptual framework, and I'm really excited to take that integrative and holistic approach and go back to Youth in Motion and see what we can do to um, adjust and improve. So I've shared about a single program and shared a number of active recruitment strategies that have been effective. So we'd like to open up for discussion. We do have discussion questions, but Risto, are there questions that have come in that we should address first? I think uh, Ingrid has answered some of those. Um, and I, and I, um, one of them was that have your numbers actually increased. So um, I know Ingrid answered that in the chat, but maybe, maybe that's a question that you can answer as well. Have you seen like a tangible effect in numbers? Yeah, stemming from Youth in Motion, I mentioned just briefly that um, we've had over 30 students who have enrolled at the college as, that have come from Youth in Motion. Um, we had our, our decline came several years back. We had that big decline, then we had a plateau, and we've had some upticks in the last few years. So that's encouraging um, and hopefully sustainable. So Ingrid and I wanted to ask the group, put this out for discussion. I apologize, I could not read the chat as it was coming in. So maybe you're already doing this, but um, what are some methods of recruitment or retention that you're employing that you're finding, finding to be effective for your institutions and your PEAT programs? I can jump in um, while we're waiting for other people too to say things. So one of the things at University of Northern Colorado is that um, there's a future teacher conference every year. And actually it was probably three or four years ago that we realized that this was actually happening and they were leaving um, PE out of the invitation because we're housed in the School of Sport and Exercise Science, not within um, the College of Education. And so um, it wasn't even coming up on like the kind of radar that we were a teacher prep um, program. And so I think for folks at other universities who might be in the same situation that we were in at University of Northern Colorado, um, we're just lucky that uh, Jen Krause is our program coordinator and she saw this thing go out and said, why aren't we asked to present at the future teacher conference? And so this had been happening for a really long time um, that UNC was hosting um, University of Northern Colorado, um, the other UNC is uh, hosting a future teachers conference and PE was not represented. So and now we go every year and we're actually one of the most um, popular sessions that students sign up for. This year it's virtual, so it's actually next Friday um, that we'll be meeting groups of students um, on Zoom for the um, Future Teacher Conference, but I'm assuming that a lot of other universities um, have this and it's hosted through um, the College of Education, um, through the teacher preparation programs, um, they host it. So, um, but now we are, we are represented every year at the Future Teacher Conference. And we actually, I know at least two of our current juniors actually attended our session at the Future Teacher Conference a few years ago. And it was part of their um, decision-making and coming into the program. And so um, that was kind of a cool success story for us. That's awesome. I haven't heard anything like that before. I'll have to check into that and see if there's anything around here about that. Thank you. Do you have others who want to step in and share? 
Um, so, M Michelle, while, again, while maybe we're waiting for other folks who might want to throw out some ideas, um, uh, Hal just made a comment, Hal Austin has made a comment in the chat about the importance of context. And that got me to think a little bit about what we do at Illinois that's very specific to our context and reflective of um, what we know about who enrolls in our programs. And, and what we found is that, that most of our majors um, who end up finishing their degrees in physical education don't start there. Uh, they're, they're what we call at Illinois uh, intercollege transfers. So they start maybe somewhere else on campus and, and then um, find their way over to physical education. Um, uh, and there's a group um, of uh, advisors that, that kind of work with these students um, uh, to, to kind of identify different programs on campus that might fit their needs. So if students are kind of thinking about changing their major and they're, they're looking around campus to see what they might want to do, there's a group of advisors that, that we've connected with and uh, made some presentations to about our program. We give them kind of recruitment materials so they have all of that. Uh, and then they're able to get that to those potential intercollege transfers, which which I think um, you know is kind of our way of of trying to address the specifics of where we know our students come from. Um, we have a question um, from Dominique. We'll go to Dominique first. Hello, everyone. Um, here at George Mason, I feel so high. My my screen's too high. Okay. Um, one of the things we've done in, in that context that uh, Kevin just mentioned, too, is that we have a lot of transfer from the community college. I mean, actually, over 90% of our students are transferred from the community college. And so we have an advisor for physical education, and she was willing to do it on her own time and dime to go and visit classes at the community college that seem to be linked to what we do. And that has been very successful. And the other thing that Mason as a whole has done um, is basically try to create pathways that are seamless between the community college and George Mason. And physical education now has its pathways. And so the students at NOVA, the Northern Virginia uh, Community College system now has, though the advisors over there have a list of courses that they could take in a while at NOVA. And also when they enroll in that program, they can start taking courses at Mason as well. So they are dual, dual enrollment and, and we have great expectations that this is going to help get those students to us and not delay their graduation uh, too much. But uh, reaching out to those uh, community college have been very successful for us. Awesome. Thanks, Dominique. We have um, Julia would like to contribute too. So Julia, you should be able to unmute yourself. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, so kind of like piggybacking on what Dominique said at Shepherd, we have what we call them two plus twos. You guys may know that. Um, and when we've actually set up a, a legitimate two plus two, it's literally a pathway that um, they start at the community college and it's an agreement that we've made with them so that their PE students funnel right into to Shepherd. Um, we also have lots of other community colleges that we have, we don't have official agreements with, but the pathway is made, uh, easily for them. Um, so that's another way. I don't know that it's really a recruitment as much as it is an enrollment 
issue, but um, it is helpful when, uh, when those students that go to the community college know that there is a pathway to a, a uh, you know, four-year degree. The other thing that's sort of in its infancy right now is uh, we have an MAT program. We're still at Shepherd. our PE students still get a degree in secondary education with an emphasis of physical education. Um, so we're kind of still housed in that school, but so we have a master's of teaching and we're trying to set up uh, through that master's program of five plus one, where it wouldn't be our PE students or our PEAT students that take advantage of that. We'd like to figure that out sometime, but that it's kids similar to, I think what Andrew was saying, students who um, maybe are in like a health promotion or some other related major will then get their degree there and then they can fast track to, uh, to getting a uh, teaching certification. So that's something that we've been exploring on our campus too, which is we're excited about. So that's what I had to share. Awesome. Um, Emily, did you want to jump in? I, there's some really interesting things happening in the chat and actually the community Ooh. college piece came up um, as well um, from Deb um, Patterson. And that's something that we just started too. So Ames Community College is in Northern Colorado. And one of the things that we had to do was, and I'm sure so others have had experience with this because we had to we had to get rid of some barriers it was actually really hard for students to transfer into the physical education program if they didn't start there um, and so we were sometimes having students come with an associate's degree or two years somewhere else and having to do like an additional three years um, in our program because of some of the requirements. And so that's one thing that we've done recently is really streamlined that to, re to reduce those barriers. Um, and Emily, I'll let you jump in there then. Uh, thanks, Jamie. I mean, there's so much really neat dialogue going on in the chat. So if you're having a hard time trying to listen and back channel chat, don't worry. That's why we kind of encapsulate this in audio and have it available for later, as well as integrate some of the chats. But um, I think a couple of things that just sort of came to mind as, as you all were talking is that those um, Hal mentioned this kind of college and career readiness piece and, and that I think dovetails nicely in with Julia and Dominique's talk about two and two plus twos and articulation agreements and five plus ones, et cetera, and how we can uh, be mindful about where our students are coming from and what their needs are and really look at it more from an asset perspective so we don't diminish those lived experiences of those transfer students that are coming maybe as former active duty or second career, career changers, transferring in and getting associates or otherwise. And also being mindful that, as Jamie just mentioned, um, when we do have students coming in with associates degrees and then have to take an additional six semesters at a four-year institution, financially, we're learning from our students um, that uh, transfer students are funding their education primarily on their own. Um, they're not co-financing this with a family member. Um, many of them have worked and built income to pay for. So a six additional six semesters is too much uh, for students who have already developed a, or already earned an associate's degree. So how, if we want to 
you know, think carefully about financing and what types of financial implications there are uh, when we're thinking about creating and extending these articulation agreements so as to streamline to get high quality teachers out there. Um, so I wanted to kind of plug in, to plug into that a little bit and see if anybody else had thoughts relative to things we're seeing in the chat or other ideas. Um, I might just let's, um, there's some great discussion happening in the chat and um, please, there's folks asking for advice and things. And so if you have advice you wanna add in, I think this is a really good place for us to switch over to kind of our next um, topic. And so thank you, Michelle and Ingrid for your leadership um, and sharing the ideas that you have. Um, and um, thank you, Emily, for twigging Hal's um, thinking um, as he just put in the chat there. So um, our next topic, and this is really more about kind of who we're recruiting um, into the profession. And, you know, we talk a lot about this, right? As far as teaching, the teaching profession in general um, is uh, very white and um, very female in a lot of ways, um, depending on the subject that we're teaching. And our students do not often look like the teaching force. And so um, we need to really be, I think, mindful, not only of increasing numbers in our programs, but also thinking about recruiting um, more diverse um, individuals into our programs. And um, diversity, obviously going beyond um, just you know, gender and race and to um, include a bunch of different other um, pieces such as ability and um, sexuality and all of these other um, identifiers. And so I'm going to introduce um, the facilitators of our next section. So um, we have Brian Culp, Victor Ramsey and Luis Sanchez Martinez. Um, and uh, Victor and Luis are both on a task force right now um, through Shape America that is also focusing on this topic. And I think Brian is going to kick off the group. Um, and so I'll turn it over to you, Brian. Good afternoon, friends and colleagues. Nice to see a lot of you. I have not seen in a long time because of various reasons, conferences and things such as that. Um, so Jamie gave a pretty good introduction into what we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about here. And I just wanted to kind of give a general overview of some things to position Luis and um, Victor to talk about some things that um, Dr. Lawson was to, excuse me, Hal and Kevin had both started to talk about in terms of how we strategize recruiting. So um, for outside of Pete, generally when we look at um, recruitment, and retention in terms of the discourse, that narrative is pretty much specifically pointing on um, people who are quote unquote black and brown. Okay, so when people talk about um, the retention and recruitment, it is almost always looked at from a race and ethnicity standpoint. Um, how that happens is because we're conditioned to do this based on metrics generally that our university gives us. And um, it's sort of these hidden codes that sometimes we don't necessarily understand. Like, you know, we have the conversation in our departments um, based on what metrics the universities and the presidents and uh, deans give us. And we also recognize the fact that a lot of visual representation goes into diversity and recruitment. In fact, if you probably did a search of your particular websites and any discussion of diversity and, re and recruitment and retention, you're probably looking at someone who is an ethnic minority. Now, again, there's some things to sort of think about with that. 
Um, Jamie and I, when we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, she had asked me to sort of kick this off and she was like, well, hey, could you have anything to add in terms of talking about recruitment and retention? And I said to her, well, I live in Atlanta. So for me, recruitment and retention is a completely different thing than when I worked in Indianapolis, Indiana, so to speak. And I see Chad sort of nodding as well. I mean, Chad and I both live in the city of Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta is a black city. And at our university, we have 32% of our students are black and our PEAT programs mirror that for the most part. So that's another thing to sort of keep in mind when we're in this conversation is that no group is a monolith. And some of these things are very much um, the consequence of location. Uh, another piece that most of us may be working through right now is the fact that quite frankly, it's competitive. When we talk about um, my university right now in our college, we have public health, we have exercise science, we have uh, physical therapy, personal training, and we have nursing. And now we have an integrated health studies program. So just even among trying to focus on whatever group of students you wanna focus on, um, they may have a different idea about what they wanna do in terms of their life and career choice. Um, so a couple of points, just the caution that we usually think about when students come to us doesn't mean that we necessarily have everything in place for them. I mean, we recruit black students. We recruit students um, that are Hispanic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have everything in place for them. In fact, I would say the contrary, because we have so many students that are from those two backgrounds that come to our universities, um, historically at our university, we haven't felt like we've needed to actually go and get people, which is um, actually a, a little problem that we've been talking about here. Um, one of the other challenges that we sort of face in my neck of the woods is this creation of metrics that puts um, indirectly, puts students in a situation where we actually dehumanize them in some ways. So we start looking at these students as resources, like, hey, we need to get, for lack of a better word, butts and seats, instead of thinking about what they need when they get here to the university. And students pick up on that. They are very much representative of understanding of the fact that, hey, you know, I, I know y'all are trying to bring me here on this big recruitment push, but sometimes Dr. Culp, you know, I feel like people are just going overboard. They're not really asking me what I want in this particular type of program. And uh, the point here is just to recognize that students have multiple identities that need to be celebrated. Um, to end here, before I, I turn it over to, um, to my colleagues here, just some other pieces that we have in place, um, supports that we should have that are not necessarily the case in teacher ed programs. So lack of support within the faculty for these initiatives, um, high stake tests and exams that screen teachers of colors out, usually before they can even get into a program. Um, teacher education programs replicating current demographics of who they hire. So teacher education programs not looking like the communities or people that we want to assist. Um, prevailing ideologies of whiteness that permeate curriculum to shape the norms of routines in schools. And I think us all sort of know about that. Um, also, we have students who, even when they come to our programs and they come to our institutions, deal with overt and covert racism, um, language barriers, stereotyping, microaggressions, um, people who act as if they are colorblind. And I think one of the biggest things we're working with right now, field experiences that don't necessarily match their experiences. So field experiences tend to a lot of times be safe and controlled. Because for a lot of us, we like field experiences where we can go do research. And it's comfortable for us, but it may not necessarily be comfortable for some of the students that we are trying to bring into our program. So without further ado, I wanted to um, introduce to you some person you already know, um, Luis Martinez.
And um, I'm going to turn it over to him and Vic. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. So uh, my name is Luis Sanchez Martinez. I'm a master's student at the University of New Mexico, and I'm also a elementary physical educator. And I've been grateful and lucky to be teaching in person during this time. But um, I just want to talk a little bit about my personal experience throughout my undergrad, because I am a Mexican immigrant, both illegal and illegal at one point. And it was very um very different and it's a very unique perspective to have from that type of um, background because most people that have um, that immigration um, perspective they're not really focusing much on going into a two or four year institution they're just focusing on being able to provide in general for their families i was fortunate enough to have a mother who was actually um, pushing me to say that you need to go to college and get a degree, no matter where it is, I don't care, you need to get a degree because that's where you're gonna be successful. And unfortunately, we see a lot of people and in, in a lot of families in my community where they don't have that support at home or they don't have the knowledge information as well. Because when I was um, finishing up my high school, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, but I had to piece everything together because there wasn't that support also at my home and my school and outside of those two settings. So I really had to spend a lot of time doing the research to eventually find out that, hey, there's a physical education program at the University of New Mexico. I love sports. I love helping kids. I love working with kids. So I was able to put two and two together. But there really isn't that many people in, in my community that have that drive and have those resources available to even do that kind of research. So one of the things that we've been doing at the University of New Mexico, especially during my undergrad, was doing more of a field trip. And what we've done is we've invited um, teen and individual sport classes from public high schools to come and have a, a day in a life of what a PEAT program looks like. So we've had um, about a hundred juniors and seniors at a public, from a public high school come to the university. Uh, we introduced ourselves. We gave them an overview of what our program is, looks like, what courses they have to take, who are the program coordinators, our, the, our professors. And we just gave them a whole 45 minute lesson. We, you know, we gave them an icebreaker. We helped them introduce themselves to even each other because a lot of the students in the same class don't even really interact with each other. So it gave them a chance to, you know, start fresh and get to know someone new. And then we were able to give them a unique lesson, whether it was an elementary or a secondary lesson. And uh, what we've done in the last few years was actually use some of the lessons that we've, uh, that I personally learned while studying abroad in Japan. So we've done a, a lesson on Sepak Takra. We've done a traditional uh, chopstick dance as well. And we've done also a, a European sport called korfball, which is a combination of team handball and basketball. It's very unique. But uh, it, it gave them an out, a perspective that is different and unique that they're traditionally used to. And it really also helped them answer some questions that maybe they also had not just within physical education, but just the university life as well. Because at the end of the day, they had uh, a chance to ask us questions about um, 
requirements, uh, how to get into a university, other routes that they can take, like the community route and the community college route, and then transfer into a four-year institution, and so on. And then at the end, we also gave them an opportunity just to tour the campus. So we had one, one or two PEAT students uh, have a group of the students, and we just walked around the area of the campus and showed them major landmarks where they can get information, where they can find food, or just, you know, statues, or, you know, just interesting places where they can uh, um, relax as well. So, um, with, with my, like I mentioned, with my personal journey, it, it was very eye-opening and very rewarding for me to see how far I can go in life if I push myself. And I really want to drive that into my community as well. We, you know, just like every other program, we, even though we have a very diverse community and city in New Mexico, we have a lot of Native Americans, we have a lot of em uh, immigrants from Mexico and the Middle East, refugees, we have an African American community, we still don't see that diverse population within our program. So I'm gonna transfer it over to Victor Ramsey, who's gonna talk a little bit more about that. Thank you, Luis, and thank you, uh, Brian, for uh, setting us up here. I appreciate that. Um, I want to thank uh, Brian and Luis, especially because we had a robust conversation, and I know neither one of us wanted to get off the phone that day, and it was, it was enlightening, man. It was really fun. We talked about a lot of stuff, um, but I'm going to come from a different perspective, and in, uh, to give credit where credit's due, um, in our midst, we have the uh, current president of New York State uh, Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation and Dance, uh, Dr. Clancy Seymour. And I want to give him a personal thank you. I know he's a very, very humble young man. But uh, one of the conversations that we are having is that of, of um, systemic racism. And we have had the opportunity to have brave conversations about that. And first of all, I open up with that just to give you then where I, where I live right now. So I'm in Brooklyn, New York. I work for the New York City Department of Education and I'm in the Office of School Wellness Programs. I'm approaching my 32nd year. Uh, I'm also an adjunct assistant professor over at York College City University of New York where I've been there for 19 years. So I migrated from Panama and oftentimes when I speak Spanish to people, especially when I'm training teachers, they're shocked because they're looking for a light-skinned person like Luis with perhaps long, you know, curly hair or something of that nature because we tend to believe that people are supposed to look of a certain way. Also, in my transition as a veteran of the United States Army, when I traveled, I studied in Germany. So when I would speak to teachers and I would count in German, I would say to them, well, hey, I live there and I speak somewhat uh, conversational German, they're shocked because their expectation is not that here it is an African-American or Caribbean, what it may perceive as a Caribbean person because I may have a slight accent that's different from them. And I'm saying this because we come in sometimes with assumptions about students based solely on that, how they look and maybe how they speak. Brian spoke about our L student or students who migrated from another country. So working at York College, it came to the realization, I came to the realization that students were somewhat 
uh, shocked when they saw that here was Victor Ramsey with a doctorate talking physical education, encouraging them to attend a state, uh, state conference. What am I getting out of this? Why should I stay in this profession? I was an athlete. All I want to do is play sports. And I think all I want to teach is sports. So you can only imagine the work that we have to do to sort of like change minds and let them understand that there's a world out there that they can contribute to. First and foremost, they need to see someone that looked like them, i.e. myself and a few more of my colleagues. But more importantly, when they go to these state conferences, I felt bad to be quite frank with you when I, for the first time, took four of my physical education major students. Two of them are currently working as full-time students now, two of them and the other two are still studying. And they asked me a question when they saw the number of, of the, when the presidents came up, past presidents came up to get their, their, their current past president got their jacket and they wanted to know, well, Professor, why is it that there are no black or brown president? I, I have to be honest with you, I couldn't give him an answer. So fast forward, one of the things that we have, are discussing with New York State AFRID, not only is educating our members about the importance of keeping this conversation open and brave about systemic racism, about the barriers that some of our students may confront. And the reality is that, in that they may attend a PW, PWI rather, I'm sorry, and still get that, that treatment that, oh, you're from the city. And we have even in New York City, schools that are in our, say in our city, and I'll be, I have to be specific, in Long Island where you may have those teachers that come from Long Island or studied in Long Island and look down at students in the city of New York. So therefore, when we're talking about encouraging our students to be teachers, that's where we fall into some type of um, issues with why you got into teaching. And I cannot begin to tell you, and we wouldn't have enough time to let, to, to, for me to tell you the stories over the years that I've had to deal with in New York City with some teachers, making assumptions about students because they come from a socioeconomic background that is different from them. So can you imagine the work that it will take in an urban city like New York City to recruit high school students and thinking that you can be a phys ed teacher? And be honest about the curriculum when we tell them about Naismith, and no disrespect to Mr. Naismith, but if you visit New York City, you go to Bowling Green, there's a Native American museum where they tell you the history of the sport of basketball. So in their mind, when they start, all they give credit, they have to give credit where it's due. So these are little nuances that I have to deal with when I'm doing these workshops for teachers who may, who may have student teachers in their classes coming to these workshops and over here and listening to them say things like those students, that type of conversation. So even within our mix, we have teachers who uh, need to be reprogram into understanding the benefits of why someone should be physically fed or embrace physical activity and, and physical literacy or what have you. So it's sort of challenging. So I want you to be mindful of those things, that assumption. Uh, we use terms like um, BIPOC. And for those of you who may not be familiar, Black, Indigenous, People of Color, be mindful of the language and how we present that. Again, accent, we all have an accent. 
Uh, so again, some people come in with assumptions about students about that. Brian talked about the support from the institutions. Currently, York College uh, have a active uh, majors club, physical education majors club. And we are doing everything we can to encourage our students to attend uh, conferences. Uh, and I, for one, invite them whenever we have our citywide conferences to come to these conferences and uh, partake, network, things of that nature, and support. We teach them how to be uh, professionals in that regard as well. Um, New York City has the most diverse group of um, people. New York City, UCLA conducted a research 2015 and then another one 2019 in which being the most diverse city in the country yet still remain the most segregated. So we have a high school like Stuyvesant High School that accepted 800 plus students and only eight were African-American students. That was painful as a black man living in a city like this. So I just wanna share that with you because I know some of you may have one or two situations in which that might be the case. Uh, I collaborated with um, uh, Texas A&M uh, over the years, a couple of years we did it, but where they brought up some students here and I introduced them to schools, let them take a walk through some of those high schools, sit down with the students, attend some of the phys ed classes. And the, we did it four years in a row. And unfortunately on the last year, a student made a comment to a Latino, Latinx student at one of the schools in the Bronx and the principal who happens to be of Russian descent and was very much involved in her school was very hurt to see that uh, these students address uh, in a very negative way uh, because of the cultural differences and not understanding some of the language and customs and so on, instead of uh, apologizing, they sort of like had this pompous attitude. So it was very um, unfortunate, but uh, I believe that prior to doing something like that, we should prepare students and introduce cultural diversity, some customs, things that are different. That way, uh, when they have opportunities such as this, there will be no need for anyone to be offended or or if you don't know, of course, you apologize. And um, I just want to leave you with that. And, and just, uh, you know, I don't want to give it a dismal spin, but I just have to be real because that's the reality. And I uh, know we have a lot of work to do. And I want to ask each and every one of you to be mindful of, number one, your, um, when, when addressing students to be, uh, to let them know that students come in all shades and colors, different backgrounds. And, and we can make this happen if we come together as, as, as one. So um, I, just, I just want us to not have fear to speak truth to students, um, tell them what the opportunities are. Luis and I just did a, a video in Spanish, right? And I hope that I did a fairly good job and hopefully that will help somehow. But um, the work is still ahead. You know, we still have a lot of, a, lot, a long way to go. Uh, there is um, the notion of when we say diversity, and Brian alluded to that. So if you have a, an environment where most of your students are Black, BIPOC, what, what, then how, who do you recruit? So we may need to be mindful of how we go on about the recruitment as well. When we say recruitment and retention, we have to be specific and give that rationale for why. So I just want to leave you with that and thank you for the opportunity.
and I'll uh, be happy to follow up with any questions or comments that anyone has. I'll be happy to follow up with that. Thank you. Thanks, Vic. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks, Brian and Luis as well. Um, we'd love to open it up for anybody that has comments, questions, or um, anything revolving around this. And then um, we'll move after that to the, um, um, to the next session. But I'd like to open it up, uh, whether it's uh, asking a question through the chat. Uh, let me get you here, Crystal. Uh, you should be able to unmute. Hi, everyone. I'm Crystal Williams, and I kind of was focusing kind of on what Louise said earlier when he talked about once he decided to get into that PE program. So um, when I was in high school, my basketball coach, she was like, hey, I think you should be a PE teacher. So I got to the point kind of like Louise and, okay, now what do I do? So I decided to research and find out where could I find this program? So as he was speaking, I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if I had an opportunity where maybe a college day sent out forms or maybe I saw it at some kind of career day, something like that, would it trigger me to want to enter the program even without her giving me that nudge? And then he continued to talk and I heard him talk about the master's program and I entered the master's program. Once again, somebody suggested it to me. Just so happened, I went back to the school I graduated from and they were like, hey, you should be, you know, try out to be a grad assistant. I was like, okay, so I got interested. So each time I enter a program, someone gave me a nudge to enter that program. It's nothing that I saw out, nothing I saw at a conference or anything like that. So I've, I was just thinking to myself, would it have been different if I saw that maybe in the pamphlet or, or something else uh, through that process as I got ready to enter going into college? So that's just something I thought about. Thanks, Crystal. We're so happy Crystal's here, by the way, too. She's a, a recently awarded a, a Teacher of the Year Award and is a current um, in-service K-12 teacher who's also on the Shape America Recruitment Task Force. And it's so important that we have people like Crystal who are willing to join us um, and have these important conversations um, because, you know, we, we need that collaboration, right? So we can't do this by ourselves from the recruitment and retention standpoint. Um, so we need in-service teachers like Crystal and their perspective. And um, when Crystal and I, you know, first met a couple of years ago and she told that story of like her basketball coach just saying, hey, you should be a PE teacher. Like I still, I always tell the story, Crystal, about how you're, you know, your coach, because that's, it's so simple, right? Like we're sitting here for an hour discussing this with all these bright minds across the country. And it really is as simple as Crystal just said, this idea of, just telling someone, hey, this is a profession that you might be really good at and, and encouraging them to do it. And so I think, um, thanks for sharing your, um, your experience, Crystal. Are there any other um, questions or comments before we kind of move on to our next section? Maybe while folks are thinking and getting their hands raised, what Crystal mentioned and what Luke Luis mentions too, it's it, that social capital, right? There's actually a social capital framework that we could um, tap into to look at some of these really important, meaningful moments that um, maybe many of our current students and um, alum had some sort of spark, some sort of a nudge. What is it? Where is the information that they're um, seeking? Um, what is it? guidance counselors? Is it administrators? Is it teachers? Is it coaches? What is it that Crystal's coach saw in her specifically that made that coach 
urge to say something, to affirm that in Crystal or that in Luis? And uh, are there ways that we can learn from that experience and then be mindful to kind of provide additional resources and supports and looking at it from that kind of social network that what are the cultural norms? Um, and one thing that when Luis was sharing is, you know, we also have a lot of transfer students and a lot of first generation students entering our colleges and universities and and the families. Um, are we doing a, a good job of communicating what a physical educator is and does, a health educator is and does, a wellness educator is and does, and the impact in our communities. I think Victor mentioned it in such a really profound way is the extent in which educators have on their community and the influence that they have, um, sometimes in a very overt and sometimes in a very um, uh, in not intentional way about who can enter teaching who is appropriate like am i okay if i don't see myself in in a teacher uh, uh if i don't see myself in the teachers and the educators that are in my schools or my communities is that a profession for me and how might we break down some of those barriers purposefully and systemically to um, open the doors for uh, more voices and people to enter careers in education thanks emily uh let's go to gay go ahead Hi, Gay Timken, Western Oregon University. And one of the things I do, I've done for quite a while now is with students, especially students of color who, who think they want to be teachers is I'm like, you know what? Let's talk about how many teachers are white in the school district here or in the state of Oregon. And let's talk about how many students of color they are. And then I just say, you know, they're going to look at me as some white lady and they're going to say, what do I have in common with her? And I'm talking to, I'm thinking of one of my students right now, Jorge, and I say, dude, you're Latinx, you speak Spanish, your family's from Mexico, you're gonna connect with kids differently. And they all kind of look at me like, I don't believe you just said that. <laughs> but when we have this conversation, it, it helps them feel like this is where they belong. This is what they need to be doing. And they really appreciate that honest conversation. And, you know, and I talk about their peers and like, how many white peers speak Spanish? How many white peers do you have? Who are they going to connect with? And boy, does it make a difference for those kids. That's all. Thanks. Nope. Thanks, Gay. Um, Shelly, I just made it so you can unmute yourself if you wanted to contribute. Thank you. Um, we have, I, I'm from Ball State University in Indiana. And um, we had talked about creating a, a video that we would uh, disseminate at our state conference that would be to give to the high school teachers. I mean, that's, I feel like that is the place where we really need to be reaching out to those, um, the, especially the elective teachers in high school and some of the coaches. Like those are the people who are going to be reaching out to those students who have a love for physical education in high school and, and you know, that's where that, uh, that nudge can make a big difference. Um, I know that there's probably a lot of us here today who had that nudge from some, you know, trusted adult in high school, uh, whether it was a coach or a teacher that, you know, kind of uh, pushed us in the right direction. And, uh, and so I, I truly feel like getting out in, into high schools, whether it's through a YouTube video or our student organization reaching out, um, that's just, that feels like a huge way to, uh, to make a difference in, 
and what's happening here. Thanks, Shelley. Um, so let's, I'm going to make an awkward transition because we need to move to our uh, last topic uh, and we're running about 15 minutes left in the official session that we, that we said. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Kevin Richards and Emily Jones to talk more about the research aspect of this. And, and remember, if you want to talk to people on uh, the panel afterwards, uh, we're going to stick around so you can carry on that conversation and uh, bring those other topics up. So uh, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, uh, thanks, Risto. Um, you know, I, I think uh, research research in this area is still relatively underdeveloped, um, and most of it does not include the perspectives of, of the actual physical education recruits. Um, the work that, that I've done, and I know that others have done as well, tends to target uh, peak faculty, actually, uh, is a population that's gotten a decent amount of attention. And, and that's important because we, we play a, a role as peak faculty members in um, the recruitment process, but, but ultimately um, determining the success of, of what we do or don't do uh, is gonna come down to whether or not the students get the message and they end up coming into our, our programs. Um, you know, as Michelle said at the beginning, um, I, 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 take, uh, I also take an occupational socialization theory perspective on this, um, you know, really looking at the role of those formative educational experiences. So while our, um, you know, prospective recruits are in their own, um, you know, high school, especially physical education programs, what are those programs like? Do they, do they have physical education that, that aligns with, um, you know, their kind of beliefs about what being a physical education teacher could be? And, and is that something that excites them? And, and I think that, that um, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, sometimes our high school programs tend to overemphasize team sports and, and often they're taught with a very direct instructional style. And so that leads a certain type of student to be recruited into our program. Students who tend to, you know, um, associate physical education with sport and who have aspirations uh, uh, to coach and do other things. Um, but, but that doesn't necessarily align with the perspectives and the practices and the backgrounds of, of the students who are in physical education classes, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, and many of which I think relate to, um, you know, what we, what we discussed in the last, uh, in the last topic area. Um, you know, also in that last topic area, we talked about the role of, of in-service teachers a few times. I, I really think that, that the crux of this lies with in-service teachers. Those of us in higher education can do our part, and I think that we, sh we, we should. We have a responsibility to do so. But us going into schools um, and speaking with students is not going to have the same effect that, that their physical education teacher speaking with them is going to. Those are people who uh, they have relationships with, they know, they care about, they have had a, have a bond with. They're going to take what they're going to take what they say seriously. But but I don't know that a lot of um, physical education teachers view themselves as agents of recruitment. I, I I don't I don't know that I really feel that way. And honestly, up until the last few years, I don't know that many of us in in peak in higher education saw ourselves in that way. Um, you, you know, I think that there's a, there, there's a cognitive shift there that needs to happen where we need to start thinking about ourselves um, as disciplinary stewards and, 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 and folks who are in a position to, to help, um, you know, actively recruit uh, into the field. And that's both directly, but then also in our PEAT programs, when we're talking with our students, preparing them for their future careers, helping them understand their roles as agents of recruitment and, um, and, and kind of taking that on. Um, you know, equally important, I think it's, I think it's interesting to, to, to consider why some students choose not to come into PEAT. 
Um, I, I was part of a team a couple of years ago that did a study of why students uh, entered kinesiology programs, but decided not to come into physical education. And it was really insightful. Uh, and so sometimes understanding what, what leads students other directions can give us information about what we can do as well. Um, yeah, I think developing and continuing to test new and different recruitment strategies is going to be is going to be critical. Um, you know, as is looking at how um, we can help prepare our doctoral students and, and ourselves, for that matter, to take on you know roles as more active agents of recruitment. Uh, you know, as we seek to ensure a favorable future for the field. Um, uh, Emily, thanks, Kevin. So when we were, the discussion has been so rich. I know I said that earlier. And so uh, we decided to kind of pare down this, this piece about re research, not because it's less important, but because I think we have more conversations that need to be had. And we've got a lot of questions that have come up through the, the conversation that need exploring. Um, and, and Kevin and others mentioned some frameworks and lenses that, that these issues have been looked at from. Um, but I think that we have uh, the opportunity to kind of take a step back and look at what other lenses we can utilize to examine this. I think critical race theory is a really, um, could be a really great platform for us to kind of frame how we are recruiting and retaining and training and caring for uh, students of color um, into our profession. Our, our institutions of higher education are primarily white institutions prepared well enough to meet the needs of students, indigenous students and students of color. And uh, Vic said this again, I'll kind of just tag on it. Like, have we addressed the institutional racism within our institutions and within our curriculum so that students of color can be welcomed, can feel belonged, belonged, no, can feel like they belong and have, have allies, you know, or people who support them and um, recognize when policies perhaps uh, are impeding their progress and stand up for uh, the students and against those policies. So, <laughs> so belonged, that's going to haunt me for a long time. But um, so I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, this kind of men Hal mentioned the neoliberal uh, impasse that we're at and several times about budgets and what is our role and um, butts in seats and dehumana, like not seeing students as students for what they are. Um, we also are re in a time where we're re our state funding and our federal funding is so low that in order to have programs and faculty that train future teachers, we do rely on student enrollment, uh, at least as a lot of our state institutions do. Um, and so while the while some people might, might not uh, want to go this route, I think we as a service industry, as providing a quality service to, to students, um, you know, we, we could also take a, take a look at how the students are experiencing the messaging that's coming from institutions. What is their journey that they have um, experienced as they're considering different institutions for fit? Um, if I uh, am interested in going on a cruise, who am I going to ask about different cruise lines and where to go? And how important are those testimonies of people who've had good and bad experiences. And if students are considering an institution or a program or a career, who are they reaching out to? And what types of positive and negative experiences are they having on campus with advisors, with faculty who make time or don't make time um, to meet with and 
Um, I don't know about those of you who get to meet with prospective students, but more and more the questions coming is how diverse are your faculty? How diverse are your students? And um, that's an important question that we've got to start addressing and being proactive and and not just hiring to have uh, diversity in color, but diversity in experiences and uh, a lot of what Brian mentioned earlier, looking at um, diversity of thought and um, how can we be responsive as faculty to meet those needs of students coming in uh, to our programs. So I'm going to pause and open it up there because um, I'm sure that there's different thoughts or how what other frameworks could you see or lenses do you think might uh, fit to answer some of these questions that have come up? Or what questions are you wanting answered to um, effective uh, strategies and the kind of cost benefit of certain efforts of faculty um, resources on campus, how to engage with recruiters and make sure that what they're saying about our programs and our professionals truly are what we want them to communicate to prospective families and students. Yeah, Victor, I saw your hand up there. Do you, did you want to chat? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, maybe uh, see what the group thought about uh, creating some type of uh, collaboration among um, their current students in their PEAT program with their local um, high schools by way of conference calls, uh, i.e. now, in light of what's going on now, with, uh, uh, with phys ed teachers that are there and see how they could um, use that platform, i.e. Zoom, what have you, to have a conversation with their students. And because oftentimes, when these high school students uh, see their phys ed teacher, they're only thinking, oh, he played sports or she played sports and that's it. They don't look at them as pedagogues. So just wondering if that could be a suggestion um, that people may be considering now and that we have this platform. Uh, many, many high schools are not, um, I know in New York City are not in person. So this could be one uh, idea that maybe I was open to entertain to say, hey, would you like, uh, let's connect with your local college. Uh, program and make this a teachable uh, conference learning opportunity for your students. Yeah, I, I think you're right on there, Victor. Um, and I know, I think it was Shelly who brought this up earlier about doing a YouTube video or something like that, or making, you know, Ingrid, you have, you have a video that you made. Those are much more easier to share now in online high school classes, because if you can just make a class, send it to as a link to a bunch of your um, bunch of the teachers there that are in your local community that could you know be easily embedded into their canvas or their blackboard or whatever they're whatever they're using. Um, so uh, Kevin, uh, are you all right if I move over to that to the next session? Good. All right. So quick um, one comment, Risto. Sorry before you close. So one thing I think too, and this is really interesting, and I just saw uh, Donal was adding some things in the chat, and this is really a, a US problem, right? So with recruitment into health and physical education programs, our international colleagues um, do not have these same issues. And yes, the systems are fundamentally different, right? So um, we have far 
more universities in, in the United States than most other countries do. Um, but I think yeah, that's a piece for us to consider too, is what is it that's happening um, to teaching as a profession in the United States from a research perspective that is making people not want to enter our profession, physical education, health education aside. Um, and so I just wanted to mention that because it was something that you know, I know has come up even on Twitter when we posted about this collaborative and people were like, we have no problem recruiting. And they were folks um, from international contexts. And so, um, sorry, Risto, to cut you off and um, I'll let you jump in and close now, but just wanted to mention that. Well, I guess we just got to bring a bunch of Australian and UK educators over to the US. You have a hard time finding a job over there? We got plenty over here and that's another way uh, we can start recruiting. So, all right, that's my segue. Uh, let me uh, go ahead. I'm going to share a couple uh, links in there, and I'm going to guide you through a couple of different resources, uh, some by Shape America that have just been published this week. Um, so can you see the resources page? All right. So this is a page that Shape America just launched this week. Um, it's resources for people like you who are in higher education. Um, there are uh, three different blogs. Uh, Peter wrote one, uh, Ingrid and I wrote one, uh, Brian and Jamie wrote one. I think the, those are the three here. Um, we also have a um, open access uh, Jobird uh, article that's been, that's been put out. The position statement or the white paper on recruitment and retention, tons of really good resources in there that you can look at. The Movers and Shakers flyer that was uh, published a couple years ago. Now it's just easy for you to, you know, if you want to print that out, put it out um, in, in your office or send it as a flyer to a bunch of high schools for them to post. Um, we have two different uh, presentations. Uh, not to say that these are the, the perfect presentations. They're from UNC and George Mason, but these are the ones that uh, George Mason uses and UNC uses when we go out to visit either community colleges or high schools. And um, Aaron Santeo was great to bring this together and basically made a template. And you can go in and take this template. And the idea is that you can go in and fill out uh, your own information here. And it follows kind of what, um, what we have done at UNC and at Mason. So you can just go through and plug it in how, you know, you have the template there and you can change it to fit your university. Um, the second um, piece here, so you'll see the white paper here. This is the Google Drive. So you see the white paper here. Um, you'll see, um, I, I dropped this in earlier. These are the New Mexico State University um, uh, high school field trips. So you can look at how they've, um, they've managed to do that. We have uh, a place for uh, recruitment literature. So you can go in and easily just find uh, the JTPE special issue um, and some other resources in there. If you have other resources that you know are good, please share with us and we can drop that in there. Uh, and then we have a bunch of practitioner articles and you know a lot of the people on the call today talked about advocacy at the uh, university level and PEEP programs. And so how can we teach our future teachers at the university level how to um, really bring this together? So these are all of a bunch of Jopert and strategies articles there, but you have um, the access to the Google Drive 
in one of those links as well. So um, the last uh, the last thing that I shared was uh, the website, the HPE uh, website. It has a link to a uh, basically an Excel file of all of the programs that at least my undergraduate research assistant and I have found and um, we we found 538 peat programs, at least through our internet search, and it's an incomplete list, um, but a, that's a lot of programs um, we tried to kind of document. So at least if you're in a state and, you know, you want to give an access to, hey, here are the programs in, you know, Colorado, here are the programs in Louisiana, here are the programs in uh, you know, California, you can go in and uh, guide people towards there or link to that on on your professional websites for people who are looking for it. Um, for a long time, we didn't have uh, a lot for, you know, high school students or undergraduate students at junior colleges to figure out where to find the programs. Um, you know, if you type in, um, you know, physical education programs near you, you're going to get a lot of for-profit universities. You're going to get a lot of, um, you know, alternative licensure programs. And you know, I talked to Ingrid about this this week uh, uh, or last week on a call, you know, at Mason, we, I typed that in and we were on like page four or five in our, in our local search. So I implore you to go through and at your computer, when you're at an IP address close to your university to go in and type in where, uh, you know, physical education program near me, see where your uh, university comes up. And if it doesn't come up in the first couple pages, you're kind of invisible. And that means you need to talk to IT, you know, tell them my SEO is off, my search engine optimization is off. Uh, I can't find my university on this. And we, we did that to our IT program and they're really nice. They worked with different search terms and we modified those, but um, we also need to be, you know, available. So we need to be found on online and social media. So um, let's, um, unless anybody else has a comment, I think we're going to bring this officially to an end because uh, we've passed our 515 point. Um, but with that said, um, please feel free to stick around, uh, engage in the chat, um, ask the panelists any questions, bring up other content that you just didn't want to put on through the through the recording. So the recording is actually going to stop right now. Um, but you're free to um, ask questions or uh, hang out for however long you want. So um, thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks so much to all our um, panelists today, too. We had some great folks um, contributing to the discussion. So uh, same time next month, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern on the, the second um, Thursday of the month. So we'll see you all in a month's time. and. Take care, stay well, stay safe.